So, hello, I'm Alex Rutkeen. I'm a barrister at Thurton and Essex Chambers specialising in mental capacity law. And I'm really pleased to be joined this morning in a rather cold and grey shed um, by Jodie Rawls. Um, as people have watched any of these before or listened to any of these before know, I'm really interested in actually hearing the person I'm talking to in the shed introducing themselves rather than me trying to do it for them. So over to you, Jodie. Give, introduce yourself. Hey, thank you, Alex, and thank you for inviting me to one of your shedinars. Um, so, yes, I'm Jodie. I'm in the final year of a PhD, um, and I'm based at the University of Cambridge in the Department of Psychiatry. But I'm also part of um, a wider initiative, welcome-funded initiative, called Mental Health and Justice. Um, the Mental Health and Justice Project is made up of researchers from lots of different disciplinary backgrounds and universities and departments, um, but we're all interested in some way at that intersection between mental health, very broadly defined, um, and human rights. And the, the sub-team within Mental Health and Justice that I'm part of, we're really interested in um, support in decision making and supporting people to make those big decisions in life, whether that be about healthcare, relationships, where you live, all those kind of things. <clears throat> and um, my research specifically, um, I look at how people with intellectual disabilities are supported in making contraception decisions. Um, and there's kind of two parts to my PhD. So um, the first part is really collecting some empirical evidence. So going out and talking to people and finding out more about how people are supported in this area. And the second part is more legal and it's kind of um, examining how people seem to be being supported relates to what two influential legal instruments, so the Mental Capacity Act and the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities say about decision-making and support in decision-making. So that's me in a nutshell. A very crisply defined nutshell. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. I am well, really interested in all of it, but the thing I'm particularly interested actually in is the interviews that you've been doing. So because the legal side is obviously vastly important, but there's the kind of the law on the ground and what people actually do. So can you kind of walk me through what you've been doing there, please? Yeah. So um, last summer, um, I had the opportunity to speak to 13 people with intellectual disabilities. And in the end, I think that worked out as seven men with intellectual disabilities and um, seven, uh, six women with intellectual disabilities. And I guess the first thing to highlight there is that this is one of the, the first study I know of to speak to men with intellectual disabilities on this topic. So um, there have been a couple of studies before that have spoken to women, but I was really interested in hearing from men as well. Um, and uh, unfortunately, this was um, still in a time where it's all a bit kind of hairy around COVID. So this was done um, remotely. Um, so the way the interviews worked, it was quite a long process. I had at least three calls with, with each person, kind of, um, obviously we need to be thinking about um, kind of capacity and things, um, capacity to consent to the research. So um, I'd have kind of a first call to kind of think about that and also just make sure we're on the same page about kind of what contraception is, because that, you know, people actually have different ideas about what this concept is. 
Um, and then if they and also to see if they're comfortable speaking to a stranger about their experiences of contraceptive decision making as well. Um, and then the second kind of bit was um, they were talking about their own experience in this field. So the experiences that they've had throughout their lives with this um, and what support they have received or not. Um, and then the last thing I did um, which I've analysed less, but was still very interesting, is I presented kind of two vignettes of like the typical kind of um, cases that I'd seen, including cases I'd seen in the Court of Protection on this topic, and kind of asked people, well, what, what do you, how would you support this person? What, what do you think is the right thing to do in this situation? Um, so yeah, that was a very interesting experience um, and lots of interesting material <laughs> came, came from it. So... I mean, just sort of pulling out the, I mean, there are lots of things to sort of dig into there, but I suppose pulling out the, the, the material in particular, thinking about how the people we were speaking to felt that they had or hadn't been supported. Let's, let's sort of dig into that for a little bit. Yeah, so much to say. So um, I guess one thing that was very obvious, and as we might expect with something like contraception, is a very obvious um, gender difference. So um, unfortunately, um, the women, a lot of the women that I spoke to, I think all but one, had had um, trauma, sexual trauma, um, and sometimes the contraceptive had been like part of that, um, sometimes kind of part of the abuse. Um, and sometimes people had used contraception as kind of a way to protect themselves when they feared abuse would happen. So I think I was really um, uh, shocked to find kind of the, the, the level of, of abuse that people had experienced. And um, I think that's really um, relevant to, to thinking about support in this area. So really there was a spectrum. So some people had had zero support. The contraception had been coercive. Um, they hadn't been told I think one lady hadn't been told what it, this will get you pregnant, but that's about, stop you getting pregnant, but that's about it. Um, whereas some other people, it wasn't like, it wasn't like um, the kind of uh, scenario we might imagine um, where so you go in, you get a nice leaflet of all the different choices or something and get spoken through them all and make a decision from there. It was less coercive, but it's still there's kind of subtle ways it, that might be constrained. The decision making might be constrained. So, for example, and not necessarily in a um, malicious way, but for example, they might just be presented. Oh, maybe you might want to try this um, rather than anything else and kind of focus around the support around this. Um, in terms of like um, educates, I think I think, well, certainly when I first started thinking about supporting contraception decisions I kind of think about education and provision of information and with the women this seemed to be kind of more reactive so they might have had like a couple of sessions at school um, which would be very it might not just be about contraception but it might be about other things like I don't puberty or um, periods and things like that but really if they had more intensive support it was very reactive reactive so if there was a pregnancy or if there was a um, an assault of some kind with the men <clears throat> the story was quite different um, so really their contraceptive decision making it didn't have like the same tone of this coercive like backdrop of 
um, abuse and trauma and things like that. It was more, um, and usually it wasn't always, but obviously it's mainly around condom use. There was a couple that we talked about vasectomies, but the concern about their decision here was um, pleasure concerns, um, if it would affect the performance, um, keeping the partner happy, so kind of go along with the partner wanted. Um, so yeah, you can see very different kind of concerns. And these are kind of concerns that um, we know affect the, the decision-making of people with condom use without disabilities. But so it just shows that, you know, it's the same kind of concerns, but that's not really the concerns that we think of like the education normally kind of <laughs> approaches. Um, and with the men in terms of where they got their information from, there was an interesting kind of age difference here. So above 35, they didn't really, they, there was this phrase that came up a lot. Oh, I just picked it up when I, as I went along. Um, so they'd kind of heard it maybe on the TV or friends or particularly about female contraceptives that would be from like women or partners that they knew. If they were under 35, they tended to have a school schooling kind of education. So, so that's a very long winded way of <laughs> saying about some of the things that I've that found in, in, in there. Yeah, no, 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 not long-winded at all. I mean, it's a really vivid picture of a whole series of issues. But one, I mean, there were sort of two things that really leapt out at me, or one, one question to us and one word which really leapt out at me. I'll, I'll start yeah. with the word, which is you were mentioning coercion. And I just wanted to, it's really sort of vivid in your description. The coercion I was picking up was, or the sense I was getting was that that felt, well, what I wanted to tease out was that, as it were, professional coercion or coercion taking place by indiv other individuals with whom this person might be involved I just wanted to get a sense of which or was it both so a bit of both okay. so sometimes I can you know if I think about these six people there's a few that spring to mind where it's professionals whether that be support workers doctors nurses um and as I say like this isn't it coercion is a tricky word because it, you know it's not it's not always kind of negative. It, it might be with the person's best interest loosely used. Um, but then there was also some uh, that, again, we might not even call coercion. So um, one lady who'd, um, she had a baby quite young and, um, but she was very involved with a local advocacy group. And um, it was a lady who worked, also worked um, with the advocacy group who kind of said I really think this is a good idea it was quite I really think this is a good idea you need to go on the pill I'll take you to the doctors you know and that's that's influence but is that cool you know and not so I haven't completely got my head around it but hopefully that gives you a bit of a picture of kind of that I'm using that quite charged term very loosely here no no but I think that's important well I mean, partly I just wanted to flesh out the sense in which you were using it and I think it's also it's, it's in a way interesting and important to use that term because it provokes a, you know, it's sort of almost yeah. provokes a reaction when you're going, well, hang on a minute, is that really coercion or is that, you know, reasonably strong advice? <laughs> it's a kind of, and exactly. there's that spectrum. And I think it, but it's important. Yeah. It sometimes might be important to flag it up so at least people go, hang on a minute, you know, I wouldn't want to identify that I'm doing something coercive. Well, explain to me why you don't think you're doing something coercive. Well, yeah. Uh, the question I wanted to ask was, in a, lots of questions, but this particular question was, of, of the people you were speaking, or the people you were speaking to, were any of them individuals who identified that 
they felt that people were questioning their ability to make decisions, so specifically their capacity to make decisions, or were these individuals where it was less, I'm not sure you've got something. It's always interesting if you're talking to the person who, you know, the professional might have this in the back of their mind, but aren't, this, aren't necessarily relaying that, or were these individuals where it was more around, you know, we're bothered about life choices you might be making, or we're bothered, you know, those sort of, yeah. If you see where if you see where I'm coming yeah. from. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think we might think about that from kind of especially if we're interested in capacity, you might be thinking, oh, well, is there some kind of assessment going on there? Are people picking up on that? No, <laughs> that didn't really come up. What did come up a lot was um perceptions around ability to parent, which obviously is intrinsically um related. So uh, the couple of the women. Well, no, and even the men, because the, the fathers in there, so talked about this, this kind of notion of really having to prove um, kind of capable parents and, and things like that. And that obviously has, I don't know, has... I know that in, in assessing someone's contraceptive capacity, you shouldn't be really thinking about their, that you shouldn't be thinking about their ability. Well, you expressly shouldn't. The courts tell you no. that is not relevant information, but it's obviously interesting that there's... I, I think there is, and in, interestingly, um, so I did a, I did a, I think it, I think it's coming up, and I think it's affecting support, and um, because I really see support as not just about supporting capacity, I see kind of support in the in the concept of the in context of the best interest decision, even though that is a bit of a uh, contentious topic, um, and obviously there you've got scope for things like risk of pregnancy to be kind of in affecting what the kind of support you're providing or allowing um and actually previously to the interviews I did um a survey of the supporters interested in kind of the barriers they identified around support and um they identified kind of this um fear risk or over risk of pregnancy to kind of be affecting their support or be a barrier to their delivery of support limitations and quantitative surveys I'm not sure how <laughs> but um all I need I can't say much more about that but I've just I just think it's so relevant to to, to support yeah yeah no that is I think it's really that as you say it'd be fascinating on on that to be able to dig into and ask well yeah how is that factoring in and you know is it yeah. Are, is it just a contextual thing or is it somehow driving you towards thinking well I've got to find this person for that capacity, because then we can do something. So, I mean, who knows? Uh, uh, there are so many more things I could be asking, and I'd love to really about the kind of empirical side. One thing I also really wanted to be able to talk to you a little bit about, at least in terms of you know, visit to the shed, is the guidance that you've helped work on with supported loving. Can I can I just ask you to speak a little bit about that, please? Yeah. Um, so, for people who don't know, supported loving is a great organisation. It's um, a kind of free um, network that anyone passionate about um, supporting people with intellectual disabilities to have relationships um, can join and they do kind of they, and one of the things they do is on their website they've got um, a toolkit that they call it and it's got advice and guidance on different issues and um, one of those issues is contraception so um, Dr Claire Bates who heads up um, the network was kind enough to invite me to contribute with um, co-authoring with Claire Lightley, who's a specialist um, sex and relationship educator. You know, that's her job. She's a lot more hands on than I am. Um, but Claire, Dr. Claire Bates knew <laughs> that I'd done this kind of research that so we put our heads together to um, 
produce this guidance. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose. Yeah, I mean, so I suppose. I mean, I will put the link to the guidance on the on on the website. But I sort of what I'm interested. I suppose one thing just to ask you is almost the kind of process of producing it. How was how are you feeling that the empirical material that you were working with was able to inform the production of guidance? Because mm-hmm. I'm always guidance is there are different gradations of guidance and it's sort of interesting to get the sense of how guidance can be informed mm-hmm. by actual you know research as it were I mean just mm-hmm. sort of almost academically here mm-hmm. so firstly I guess they already had a working thing of this 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 guidance so there were areas where um I kind of had the interviews and and my supporters the conversations I'd had with supporters in the back of my mind and I thought oh this is really relevant to add I want this should be drawn out a bit more and then there was also an element of um looking at my interviews and thinking what would be really important here for for supporters to know Um, and some of it is very quite obvious but really important to highlight I think so just an example um unfortunately quite a lot of the people I spoke to had had quite um had felt quite stigmatized um, when they had gone um, gone to access contraception. People kind of saying, I felt like I was treated like a child or um, there was one lady who had to really advocate. It's a, it's slightly, it is, it's sexual health screening. So she had to really kind of advocate for this. I think and I actually had to commandeer um, a nurse that she knew in another capacity to kind of advocate for her to get this sexual health screening. So people had to really kind of fight for their contraceptive care and sexual health services. So it's just being aware of like, that is still the experience that people are having and being really mindful about checking out the services that you um, you might go to um, because they can be really, really helpful and provide, you know, contraception is complicated. <laughs> you know, even if we look at the capacity kind of test for contraception, you need to be able to know about the different types and weigh up their all their side effects. Like, I don't even know if I could, I don't know if I could do that kind of, so um, it really does help to get specialist information, but even then we need to be mindful of kind of, is this, is this person feel comfortable? Are they, you know, all of that. Yeah. So that's yeah. just one example of, of the way that kind of fed in. Uh, so just one sort of, just one last area there. I mean, sort of tying back to something you were saying earlier, I'd be really interested in your thoughts on, you know, the, 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 that, where the line is between the kind of provision of advice. I mean, there's obviously there's a kind of, you know, nowadays in relation to you know for instance medical treatment there's a sort of you could produce a stereotype which says the professional's job is simply just to lay a load of information and say I'm not having anything further to do with this you go away and make the choice which carries with it its own kind of issues versus I'm going to tell you what to do and I'm sort of interested in this area just just really your sense and it's not it doesn't have to be a kind of massively developed thesis but just your sense from having both been thinking about influence, undue influence, you know, where does it come? And then you're kind of locking into these empirical interviews, this empirical work, where your sense, you know, how, where you, how far you feel comfortable with the idea that, you know, this is reasonably robust advice. But, you know, I just, just, just that sense. Yeah. Your... It's so hard. I think, I think kind of giving people the options in an accessible way is kind of the bare minimum for me like that's like the minimum of what we should be doing um but I think it is important to recognize that and especially in contraception that as supporters with who ideally really care about this 
person and, want, and want them to be okay, that, that, that a decision about contraception can have massive consequences for that person. Um, and that was something that the people with intellectual disabilities commenting on the vignettes really picked up upon. Like this is an issue that's, it's not just important about um, supporting the person to make decision, whatever they want it to be, but you really want a decision that's not going to, that is going to be good, like good or good for their mental health. And so um, it's really hard. And obviously um, overloading with information is also an issue. So I think it's important to really um, engage actually with, with this question of what our role is as, as supporters. And again, I'm just going to link back to the survey that one, and, and I think this, purpose of what we're trying to do is an important question that has not been thought about enough when we think about support. Um, so one of the things is that I did with the, the survey is present a number of pur purposes about support. So on one level you might have the purpose of support is to, as you kind of said, the first scenario you gave, you know, give all the information, the person make whatever choice they want. And then kind of on another level the other end of the spectrum would be um support is about ensuring a person doesn't make a decision that's harmful for their welfare or the welfare of others so that's a very that's not the way we're thinking of support but actually all of these purposes were purposes that were endorsed by people uh, yeah i really think this is what it's about so i think we really need to like engage with that question more rather than just thinking oh well let's just get you know um give a load of information and that's it information provision isn't neutral you're not doing that in a neutral way especially with something as vast as contraception so i think we really need to be engaging with that question more brilliant i would love to keep engaging but i try and keep these to roughly 20 minutes so i think that that sadly is our time is up but jody thank you so much i think certainly so much terrain covered and so many things to challenge people to think about in this area. And, and thank you also for your contribution to the guidance. And I really should give a shout out for Supported Loving because it's a, just a fantastic yeah. network. So I'll put the link to the um, to the guidance, which then obviously is on their website, which will give access to other things on there. So brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Jodie. Thank you, Alex.